Welcome to Architecture, Design, and Photography. Today we are speaking with Nitin Govila. He is a managing director, senior VP of Serge Ferrari, and accredited meditation trainer. Uh, Nitin, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. I was interested uh, in speaking with you because you have this cross-pollination of des both design and meditation, what, what I would consider to be kind of an, um, an objective practice pulling from the subjective, and it seems like you're interacting with the subjective in a spiritual sense through meditation and, and bringing these things together, which is really interesting, a really interesting intersection. Uh, for me to be able to talk to someone about. Uh, Nitin is a manufacturing leader who combines the principles of material design and meditation to create comfortable and sustainable environments. So, uh, and I actually just commented, it, it kind of looks like you're in a blimp, uh, and I commented on that humorously, and that actually behind you is one of your projects that your company has worked on. And to start out, I'd like to hear more about that project behind you, honestly. So thank you, Trent, for having me over, um, and thank you for the uh, for the nice introduction. Uh, yeah, so talking about this project, as I was just sharing with you, this is actually a meditation hall uh, of uh, Heartfulness uh, Institute. Uh, Heartfulness is a, a worldwide um, organization which is a system uh, which provides uh, heart-based meditation practices to anybody who's interested. It's now you're saying heart-based meditation practice now yes. now is that distinctive from some other type of meditation practice i'm very unfamiliar with meditation practice probably compared to someone like yourself almost completely ignorant so uh what is yeah. the specific heart-based meditation practice yeah. so maybe i'll just complete first this so this uh, meditation hall actually took nearly a year and a two to finish um, it is done by the tensile membranes made by our company, Serge Ferrari. Uh, it could, uh, it's one of the, I would say, the largest meditation halls in the world. Can uh, house around 100,000 meditators at one point of time. So the wow. last big uh, seminar or a group meditation we had in February of 2020, just before COVID struck. And then uh, this year, April 2022, we, we're back to starting those big events. So. So that's about this, uh, and we were actively involved with our partners to get this project uh, completed. Uh, now, coming back to this heart-based system, yes, uh, it's unique in its way because um, I'm sure there are many meditation practices which exist. Um, I don't believe in comparing because in the end, each one of us, we find our own journey and find our own connection with, uh, with whatever practice we follow. Uh, mm -hmm. So there are different practices of meditation which exist. Uh, strangely enough, I was only exposed to this, say, 20 plus years back, and I've continued to be with that. So I may be a meditator, but I may not be an expert to compare or compare or do a comparison between different types of practices. So for me, I'm, I know only this one. Uh, so I think um, I will be only able to comment about the practice I follow. But yes, uh, there are many practices which in any way, every individual finds their own journey and their own connection. Hmm. See, uh, your statement that um, you you are primarily experienced within the heart-based meditation practice and that that is simply the one that you've been uh, experienced with and have chosen to stay with, but that there's other uh, 
other valid ways of meditation that are simply different and but still very valid. That's a very un-Western religious position or spiritual practice. It's it's very it's a contrast to the experience of being in a religious practice in the US that says this is it. This is objectively true and this is the only way to do it. That's kind of that's interestingly how a lot of Western-based uh, uh, religious practice can come across, and it's a very, it's a very regimented and limited thing. And I don't know exactly why it it has felt that way for me, but it's very interesting to hear you say uh, with an open mind that this is simply the one that I've been involved with and have stayed with. And there's other valid forms that are very productive and everything else, but this is the one I'm experienced in. That's just a side note. That, for me, is, is pretty interesting to hear that. And uh, it tells me about your spiritual practice that, that involves this spiritual side and this more objective design-oriented side, which is very interesting. So um, can you explain to me a little bit more about heart-based meditation practices, why, why it would be called heart-based? Okay, so um, yeah, so uh, it's heart based because we meditate on the heart, and that's where the name heartfulness meditation comes. So yeah. it's a practice where we just gently close our eyes, we gently bring our attention to our heart with the thought that the source of light uh, is illuminating inside us and is actually pulling us within. So mm. we just try to, in a gentle and natural way, rest our awareness on our heart without forcing ourselves either to look for a light, either to uh, block our thoughts, or either to try to concentrate on, um, on, say, the breathing or the heartbeat. The whole idea is of meditation should be, and that's what we believe, that's why we meditate on the heart, is that mind is the crux of all issues. It's always active, it's full of thoughts, it's, uh, it's always floating between the past, uh, or worrying about the future, you know, it's in, in that def kind of default mode network always. Now, if so, you need a practice where actually you're not using the mind. So, so if we say concentrate on X or concentrate on Y or focus your attention on this, that means the moment you say use those words, you're bringing the mind into play. Now, if mm. you need to calm the mind, you cannot use the mind as a tool to calm itself. So you need something else to bring your attention to something more subtle. And the closest to being something subtle is your heart. And then you do it in a very natural way. So if the thoughts oh. also come, we just let them pass by. We, we, we ignore them, you know, as you would ignore any unwanted guest. And if you get lost in a thought, you gently can come out of it. Again, bring your attention to your heart and start the uh, practice. So what happens is over a period of time, as you do regularly, and are able to give some amount of time daily, you will see that you will automatically slip into meditation without even making any uh, efforts on that sense. So that's what the, the main essence and the main uh, element behind this heartfulness meditation or this heart-based meditation is. Wow, that is, that is really um, something that I have so little experience or knowledge with. I have, I have no heart or mind wrapped around that uh, as a means of understanding it. But through what I've struggled 
to understand and and get a, a different perspective on my own practice, um, I I can complete. I've embodied exactly what you're able to articulate. I I tried to do mindfulness meditation practice for a while, and every morning I would go and sit in uh, my living room, and we were renting a house while we were building a house, and there would be rats in the or mice in the ceiling that you could hear. And uh, that would distract me. I could hear the refrigerator running, which was a motor kind of, you know, human-made sound or mechanical. And that would distract me. And I, I just like, I could never get past like all of these thoughts just constantly berating me. And then one morning, it was a September. And September here is a nice, still warm, but still cool at the same time in the morning. And I had the window open. And here we have a lot of crickets. And there was just this little cricket outside. And as I was sitting there uh, trying to just, you know, uh, be calm and, and just be present in that moment, I, I heard that cricket just kind of a... And that, that repetitious, very natural sound, all of a sudden, my experience went from one of uh, being inseparable to and plastered against what you would see is that massive ribbon of video screens in Times Square in New York City that's just stuff moving and like lights and sound and like everything. That's my mental state constantly. And I'm, I'm like pressed up against it like against a window. But in that moment where I zoomed in on that cricket and I was just listening, like all of a sudden, it was the weirdest experience, my conscious reality went from being plastered onto those jumbotrons with all that information whirling around it just went into the center and it was still there but i wasn't in it or or controlled by it or stuck in it i was still able to observe it but all of a sudden i was just in in a quieter place with that farther away and just, I stayed in that moment for probably, I don't know, three minutes it, it, before my mind was like, ah, you know. But it was the strangest thing. And it was just that repetition of that cricket and just letting that moment just kind of be like something, something happened in that moment that changed my conscious state. And I'm, I'm actually doing a lot of writing right now on creativity, which you interact with a huge amount, that that tells us that when we're, if you can experience something new, you reference more information from your senses than from your memory. But yes. when you're in a, um, a repeated experience, like going to work the same cubicle or commuting or re-entering your house for the millionth time, these things you don't need full sensory perception to tell you about them. You just reference memory and you can allocate your other energies to processing other things. You're less present in that repetitive experience. And I wonder, my, my thought from my position of experience and everything that I've accumulated over time with my culture and everything else tells me maybe there's something that's somewhat of a connection type of thing between new experience and that brain state of new experience within the, the meditative practice or a prayer practice or something that makes you, that, that 
focuses you, but also unfocuses you from this mental hamster wheel. And that, that there's something, maybe you're, you're in that moment of meditation, you're taking all your memory and saying, why don't you just go over here for now? I'm going to be fully present in a extremely limited experience of trying not to overly think, but actually be overly perceptive just in the presence of that moment that there's a lot of complexity there to, to break apart, but that it, it, that's really interesting for you to clarify heartfulness meditation compared to uh, mindfulness meditation. And it makes sense to me as I'm a more experience oriented person. I'm more open to experience as a means of understanding, which then turns me into having traits of creativity which can be taught to non-creative people as well. But that that's all very interesting. Thank you for clearing that. And sorry for yammering on and on about that. <laughs> no, no, but um, uh, what was interesting, what you said um, uh, was that, and you know why it happens? Because those moments where you were able to hear a cricket or, or something or a motor, why was it? Because at those moments, whether it was few minutes or two minutes or three minutes, was that your mental mind was absolutely silent. Your mind mm. was absolutely at rest. So the real meditation actually should be that, right? In the end, what are we looking for? We're looking for peace. We're looking mm. at our mind to be at rest. That does not mean that the function of the mind is reduced or becomes inefficient or whatever. But when the mind is, is at rest, not only you're able to hear the farthest of noise or the faintest of noise, but a lot of things itself, as you said, comes to you in front of you it's like an it's like an evolution you you wonder you always knew about it but you were not able to you know cross that kind of um, i could say a film uh, to mm. to access it and the moment yes. mind was at rest you accessed it which means that in the end when you talk about creativity and possibly uh, i'm not an expert on that but it kind of exists inside us but because of this clutter of the mind and the activity inside the mind, you're not able to access to your inner self where everything does exist. Your subconscious is recording a lot of things. It does exist. And, you know, the subconscious always tries to uh, give you that information to the, to the rational part of the brain is through feeling. Now, feeling mm. has no language, right. but you, are, you should be able to perceive that. But how will you perceive it? only when the mind is at rest. So, so I think that's the reason also you were able to immediately perceive those things or immediately even hear that noise or feel that burst of creativity in those moments. So yeah, it's, it's so interesting. Like you're based in Singapore, I believe. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. And so, yeah, I, I need to fly you here to Maine so you can come hang out. I know you're very busy with like building massive things and, you know, okay. But I need to get you here to Maine and come look at my office where I've written. I ha It looks like I'm a crazy person and I have all this stuff on the walls trying to figure these things out from my cultural experience and perspective of a very westernized, regimented thing. And the things you're saying are things that I've pulled out like emotion like what is emotion it's so incredibly unarticulate but it's so informative and it, it is half of what we experience and it seems like when you're born you're fully emotionally present but you lose that over time and, but your articulate intelligence grows and somewhere around mm, 40 they kind of cross <laughs> 
and then you go through maybe this midlife crisis where you're starting to realize like what why why are my feelings dropping and my my um, mental state increasing and I'm able to articulate and do more but I'm constantly less present under more amounts of stress like there's this conflict and you have to you have to kind of work through them as they cross and it seems like the more eastern religions have have this more clarified uh, habitual practice of keeping in touch with this more um, ethereal emotional side as a means of not losing what it foundationally means to be human or something. I don't, and that it, I, I've come to understand it as foundationally truth and, uh, and love as the most like foundationable principles of existence that you then interact with. And in this, this side of love is the chaos that you use the articulate intelligence to pull intelligence to pull things out of. It's also the emotion, the subjective, the experience. But then on the other side, you have the objective, the facts, the truth, uh, and, and the objective things that you can create from the experience. And, and so that's where this whole thing crosses and why I'm so interested in talking to you because you're actually manufacturing materials and pulling from your belief system, your spiritual practice, and your culture and religion to kind of integrate both the subjective and the objective into a creation that, you know, is, is at massive scale behind you, which is really kind of a interesting thing. Now, how, what, did you uh, manufacture the materials that are primarily used in that, or did your company design the whole uh, meditation center retreat? I'm not exactly compound. I'm not exactly sure what to call it, but did you, was it primarily your materials or were you the designer and uh, designer of materials as well? How did that work? So, yeah, so Search Ferrari is a French company, which has been now, we, we will be, um, you know, 50 years old next year. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, so it's it's a manufacturer of composite materials. So okay. we make these membranes and structures. And uh, so when we know there's a project, we might work with the architect, uh, help the architect or the designer in our the final client in their vision, in their imagination. Sometimes, uh, you know, there are a lot of thoughts, there are a lot of uh, ideas that architects and designers may have, but we can help them to concretize that either with some kind of design support or also telling them specific elements of the products because composite material, it's a free flowing material. So, mm. so today it's kind of in a way over the years, it's also become the fifth element of construction. And, uh, and now big structures like this, the material itself or the structure itself could, could be with 20, 25 years warranty, but the lifetime of a project could even be 30, 35 years, you know, mm -hmm. um, if you if you look at Burj Al Arab in Dubai, the the facades which is on that building, it's also a tensile membrane made of glass uh, yarns. That's also from our uh, group of company, and it's been there for twenty five years. Um, in the, um, in the Dubai Expo, we did we ended up doing nineteen structures there or nineteen pavilions. Qatar World Cup, which possibly if you love soccer, um, uh, uh, five out of seven stadiums are made of membranes, and they are all of uh, our company's material so mm. the, the fact that our, uh, people realize that this is a, a good uh, material and there are many grades you know so the, they obviously last a long life long time but then as a company we also have to 
understand what their needs are sometimes we help them with some kind of design support if we ha are able to do so otherwise we'll connect them to the right people or big companies big architects would also have design um, centers or uh, departments in their own uh, offices but they sometimes lack real information on the product so what they are wanting to concretize which kind of product can fit into their needs and then we work together uh, to do that and then there are partners who specialize in working with softwares doing the form designing doing the fabrication cutting welding and installation so they will source the fabric and then do the structure completion uh, on on the site so it's on a big structure like this it will run over a year and a half or two on a small shading structures or an amphitheater maybe you can even do the project in six months so it all depends on the mm. on the complexity of that in in this type of tensile construction um was was the denver international airport one of the bigger one of the first massive scale ones yeah i think that was back in the mid 90s mid to late 90s uh they had done that and it was all kind of more conical uh, conical. Conical, yeah, conical yeah, yeah. and yeah, i remember yeah. i've been through that airport a few times and it and it's incredibly uh impressive but there's a lot of people at that time that were like oh i don't know about this you know and it's far more common now all over the place it, was that one of the like leading projects at the time for tensile could be could be i i would i must admit that i don't know much about that i also don't know which company did that but yeah. if you're saying chronicle uh generally those kinds of shapes would be much more easier to do with membranes and mm -hmm. uh, yes over the years uh, things have evolved the technology has evolved and um, and um, and obviously the openness to use those designs because one of the things a composite material does is you can actually give an opportunity to every architect, designer, and final client to create their own signature iconic structure. Mm, Whereas classical right. uh, fixed material, you don't have too much flexibility to play around. With a free-flowing material, you really can, can do that. And that's also the reason there's, when you look at stadiums, airports, you know, when countries evolve or countries move from, say, moving in the developing stage to the developed stage, in fact, when you look at those, even the postcards of a country, you'll always generally end up seeing a very good airport or a very yeah. nice stadium. So they, uh, in that sense, you are able to create a lot of iconic structures. Um, and that's become the trademark now. Uh, yes, I mean, the, the elements of construction will evolve. That's the nature of this industry. And companies put a lot on in innovation. And we also do the same. So as products evolve as fabrics evolve as membranes evolve material evolves we also keep on innovating so that we are always relevant for this industry as per the needs of the industry evolving so that's a that's a interesting perspective on that that i hadn't really considered is that the the amount of freedom that you then have with the the form of a building you've you've uh you've made the skin of the building You've separated it from the structure, made it airtight, watertight, whatever you need it to be tight, and you've made it extremely light and separated it. So all of a sudden, the form and the structure are disintegrated, <laughs> not disintegrated, but they're no longer integrated. So your shape that you communicate can become very different from the structure to hold the whole thing up. They still influence each other, obviously, and are 
created together. But the the idea, like I'm looking out a window across uh, the parking lot from us here, and this the building is completely limited by the material it was made from, bricks. So it's got a 90-degree surface, 90-degree corners mostly, and a flat roof. And with this with this technology now, all of a sudden, form uh, is is kind of independent from from the function, the immediate function of the structure. And that's interesting because I was reading something uh, about Aristotle a few months ago and his idea of, and I'll butcher it, but he had he was. Uh, I was attempting to read and understand, I should say, uh, his idea that uh, form is an expression of the of many ways of the uh, form is an expression of the limitations of your environment, but also the 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 expression of all the interaction of all the the factors going into existence uh, is, is about the best way I can put it. And the interesting thing here is technology is, is helping us um, not be quite so limited by that, which, which is interesting. We do, it, we do that kind of, we're, the U.S., I believe, is currently ideologically separating our truth from our biological truth, a process of like, we can do more if we take this thing that had been uh, uh, completely integrated with our biology. Now our, our ideology is moving further away from our biological truth and we're working at understanding how that's going to move forward and the best way to, in the same way you've taken a, 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 uh, a facade or a structure that was typically structurally oriented and limited to a pro, uh, a building and you, you've separated it to a large degree and you have more freedom in that. But then with any free with any new freedom comes issues that you have to stall. You have to, you know, deal with the technical limitations or the experiential limitations if it's ideological, whatever. That's that's a really interesting comparison that my brain just put a bubble around. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, since you mentioned of car parks, I mean we've uh, we've kind of done many interesting projects even in US where actually the car park was a standard building, but we have called up also a range of products called facade meshes, where mm -hmm. we envelop the building with that. So it not only protects from the sun, you can actually print it. So there's actually a facade building, a couple of buildings done in US. I think one is, I think a FBI building parking space or something else where you are able to keep the privacy, but the view through from the inside is excellent. And you can mm -hmm. even print it and play around with it. So not only you are able to create that privacy, but also if you look at a, a classical building, you as a second skin, you're able to create a good uh, environment with thermal and um, and uh, light protection in that sense and um, and mm. glare protection. Uh, and so you save on energy costs within the building. But at the same time, uh, you are able to give a good view through and even you know convert a very old building where instead of taking it down, you actually renovate it to look like absolutely new. So you can play with right. the lighting, you give a good privacy from the inside, but they're still connected to the outside because you don't lose the view through and it's as clear as you can you can get. So, so mm. there are various elements and people more and more are getting open to experiment with that. Second skin facades never existed. I would say many, a few years back, 
now people realize that there's a lot of talk about sustainability and energy but once the heat is inside a building there's there's a limit to what you can do you will still have to use aircons a blind can only protect but the heat is already inside the glass but imagine mm -hmm. if you have something where you can block 80 to 85 percent of the heat outside how much more energy you could uh, conserve and could be very effective for even for the environment where i'm at we simply don't have that problem <laughs> we're we're trying to keep get the heat in and keep it in <laughs> which I, a lot of times i wish the the you know the issue was reversed but it yeah that's it's a that's a really um that's a really uh, like a lot of time i remember seeing a lot of projects that would create a glass skin and this was back in late late 80s early 90s projects that would have like a glass skin that would keep the water out essentially as all in the wind but then they'd have this different structure inside of it that was completely free and you could do whatever you want and but i really really enjoy uh when ancient or old or traditional buildings are valued but the new ideas of technology and design they use the the highest capabilities of that to maintain the old but make it that much better so taking like a really ancient structure or a very, you know, 100, 200 year old structure, if you're talking U.S., it's like 200 years. Woo. <laughs> but, um, you know, to, to keep a building that's of value and to honor that, but honor it enough to bring it into the current uh, vernacular of, of technology and whatever is possible to say, here's something that we did in the past that helped us get here. And we're, we're keeping that and we're honoring it by bring it into the next century and still interacting with it, not just raising it to the ground. Oftentimes in, in the U S anyways, we're just building like big box stores to make as much money as possible. And then when they lose their ability or the, the, the community, you know, travel patterns change, they just raise the building, tear it down and, and build something else. And it, it's, it's such a wasteful process overall that, yeah, this this kind of technology, I think, is is really incredible to to use with it. Um, so uh, key trends in aesthetic design of office space, commercial commercial real estate, retail development, airports, stadiums, and hotels. I think we kind of covered that with everything that that you're doing with able to do with these tensile structures and these new materials. Um, where is the where is the the biggest vacuum that's pulling this technology in currently? Is it mostly airports or is it retail spaces, transportation hubs? Where, where do you see the biggest use of these products currently? Actually, it's a mix of all, but um, I would say more and more it's driven by shading, more and more mm -hmm. it's driven by comfort. So you look at obviously airports, stadiums will be a key element anyway because of the volume of the material which goes into it. But mm -hmm. if I look at more the number of projects you will we will i will talk about more about shading more about walkways uh, more about schools where they are covering sports areas making more things comfortable for everyone uh, sometimes big company campuses to make amphitheaters uh, so so people are uh, obviously thinking creatively and again that comes to the point that the fact that um, we are able to say that and then talking to them, architects with their experience and what they see also what is available and what has been done, they are also able to realize that they could do something very unique and creative with that. It, it, uh, it is happening and 
in some uh, and many of the products we are also able to offer colors so that way also makes it easier uh, when you are doing i mean a design which may match with the brand color or you are looking for something else so mm -hmm. so i think that's that's continued uh, will continue to drive uh, obviously different countries also have certain rules sometimes it's maybe a certain x amount of shading has to be done a percentage of shading has to be done which may be by law depending on it's a very hot place or or whatever or a uv when you look talk about australia down under and new zealand so that's that element which comes over so yes um, uh, many things are driving that so i would say but these are the still the big ones and then there's the other element which is the inside part because we also have the fabrics for blinds and awnings so which is inside the building or mm. outdoor living outdoor living is also gaining a lot of uh, traction so then also people also want to play with privacy but with heat with protection also from rain having their own cozy space so so whether you want to do outside the window or inside so that's also really driving uh, the business because people want nice material okay curtains are still the classical one which exists but mm -hmm. if they can have different options they're willing to now experiment also yeah, I'm actually after after this conversation, I'm heading home to work on a pergola I'm I'm making, which you know, okay. essentially yeah. a shade structure. And where where I live here in Maine, we have incredible problems with mosquitoes. So there's going to be mosquito netting uh, on the sides, but on top, I want to have something that just kind of sheds the rain. It doesn't need to be waterproof, but I'd like yeah. it to at least move the water out to the edges. Um, and then shade, but it's going to be temporary that we only use it in the summer. So it needs to come on and off. And I'm probably just going to do like a sun, 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 sail, sun sail. Is that what they call them? Yeah, but yeah. shade it, sails, we call them shade sails. Shade sails. Okay. Shade. And, and that's a pretty low technology, um, application or product I'd imagine in compared to what you're using on this bigger scale um yes and no um so it depends on how you want to uh use that application and how complicated it is for example if you're looking as motorized then obviously you need to not only have a good motorized system but mm. a good fabric which can roll frequently without right. creating those um curves or lines and which can fold easily and hmm. at the same time if you're looking uh, again then the element comes are you looking for translucency are you looking for view through are you okay if there's if the raindrops come like a fizz uh, this or you totally want a waterproof so always in membranes there's always that trade-off you will have to do you yep. want a translucency yep. you lose the view through in a good hmm. weather you want a view through you may not have 100% waterproof, but you will have those small fizz coming because those micro perforations in the product of what we call as micro uh, meshes, they will just create that layer of when the first rain comes and after that it's just a fizz you will feel, but at least you will feel nicer. You can uh, feel connected to the sky in that sense, the view through is there. And then there are multiple colors and the product is quite stable and, and mm. can last longer. So. Uh, it all depends the technology. Pergolas in some countries are really fastest growing market because outdoor living now has grown. Maybe COVID also ensured that people have to eat uh, outside, not in enclosed environments. 
Um, I see that in um, Australia. I see that in other parts of Asia. Uh, this market growing, outdoor restaurants, people want to, you know, create nice spaces rather than the classical fixed awnings, you know. Uh, so, mm-hmm. those, and, and then, as you say, they will do a wall, which could also be a mesh, which could be a, a, a permanent fabric, could be a translucent one, total waterproof, again, rollable. So a lot of uh, elements are happening in the pergola market, actually. Yeah. Hmm. And if you wish to be connected to someone, I'm more than happy to connect with any of our local um, staff to kind of uh, help you out and guide you or connect you with the right people also. Yeah, yeah. Send me an email. I'd love to see the different products that are out there right now. That would, that would be interesting um, and help, help me kind of zero in on what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, so why will the future of work require companies to rethink the role of the office and the environment? in which we work. This is this is something you had, had noted on on interests and things that you think on that that uh, after going through covid, I mean it's our work environment has is the biggest evolutionary change that we're dealing with. It's just an absurd amount of change in such a short period of time. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so um, why I would um, I mentioned that is uh, is is key because i think over the years the element of heat and light and glare has obviously grown and the awareness has grown when you when you design offices or spaces you know uh, whether you want to control light or heat as i just mentioned now whether it has to be outside and inside that's a real good debate which is happening in offices but mm-hmm. i uh, i felt over the years the element which has been missed out and slowly gaining traction now is the acoustics, is the sound element within offices. Mm. Now, when more and more you work in open offices, right? And I always use a, a differentiation between sound and noise. Noise okay. for me is bad, bad sound in a way that you're in a space that you cannot even hear uh, when you're going to a restaurant, right? I mean, with someone and you go to a restaurant, you cannot even talk across the table. You want to come out to eat but you cannot even converse properly because there's so much of bad noise. But if there was a way where this bad noise could actually mean convert to a good sound, meaning you can still converse, you can hear, but you're not, you know, uh, affected by what is going around and the systems are done or the design is done of an office or a space where the sound could be absorbed or does not reflect back or the reverberation speed or the seconds as we measure is reduced then actually you ensure that you create a comfortable space and i suppose in working spaces that will become key because offices are becoming more open in a way as the layout uh, is happening and so and one way to attract people back to offices has to be that that when you come you don't feel a headache when you finish your day because so many people are talking so many people are now maybe doing zoom team or other other calls that um, they they feel so much um, heaviness in their head you know if you are able to create a good space so not only a balance between thermal element heat light uh, glare but also bringing the acoustic element to it i suppose that would really create a full comfortable working space for everyone so you can actually use these membranes that are typically in my experience used on the exterior you can use them on the interior as ways of deadening uh sound transmission even just in stretching that fabric in that way 
it you can but there are already we at least as a company we make fabrics which are for acoustics we call okay. them acoustic fabrics with an alpha factor of 0.65 which means that the uh, um, the value nrc value the way you measure the noise reduction coefficient because people mm. misunderstand sometimes the mistake they make with acoustic they always talk about decibels but decibel is a relative word decibel depends on how many people are there how how the room or the space is used because mm. you could have the best uh, soundproof material but in the end if you have a lot of people the effect obviously changes so what you really need is the way to measure the material is the noise reduction coefficient and mm. we have products in fabrics which are the highest in the category obviously you are not comparing to something like a rock wool or a foam which are related to soundproofing but here we mm-hmm. are saying for acoustic comfort so we have fabrics like that which also are flexible you can use it for ceiling you can do use it as baffles you can use it as blinds you can even cover the lighting and nobody can say that it's covered by a fabric so you can put it at those places where they will not affect the eye they they kind of integrate with the design of the room or the office or anything and that's what we've done in our head offices and offices across the world and you you immediately feel the effect you it's i mean somebody who's without that and somebody is with that they will be able to tell the difference so yes it, uh, we have that yeah it's it sounds like uh going down the road in a car that has no sound deadening compared to a car that has sound deadening and what i've experienced this like uh kids here in the us will take a car and they'll strip everything out of it so it's light as possible so it can be fast and fun you know but if you get in those cars you hear the transmission you hear the motor you hear the tires you hear the like everything and it's it's too much but then when you ride in a car like a really luxury car that has a lot of sound deadening and everything else you're just in this just this just space you know you're like a calm quiet soothing you know it's it's that to me it's it's weird like i was telling you about how you have your full emotion and no articulate intelligence and they cross at middle age and i as a kid i sought out um constant stimulation and now that i'm this age i'm looking for more so that ability to be reflective and process everything i've experienced to to actually make headway which is yeah so i i i need to get a bunch of your material and plaster it all over my house cuz yeah, i have you, two you boys can, you <laughs> can do that make it as a blind ceiling and it will just integrate with the aesthetics of that and i suppose what happens with sound is unfortunately it's always assumed when it's sound and acoustics you you think about soundproofing we are not mm. talking here about soundproofing you're talking about to have a good sound a, a comfortable working space and that's why i say acoustic comfort not acoustic mm. you know reduction or whatever because it could be misconstrued you're not looking for a recording room per se you're looking yeah, for a space yeah. where uh, you feel comfortable the noise does not the bad noise does not affect you and i think that's where sometimes this element gets ignored because mm. either also there are very few experts which exist in the industry but now there are more and more who are coming in this field uh, and i do foresee that um, having giving them choices will help them also to look at you know designing those elements uh, in the offices or homes or or mm-hmm. individual uh, working areas 
to the to the point that you're saying this difference between soundproofing and kind of more engineering the acoustics of a space and and making it a comfortable beneficial acoustic experience if you soundproof an environment uh if you've been in those which i'm sure you have they can be extremely disorienting because you have no feedback or reference and it's the weirdest thing so like what you're saying is you control it and you design it to be a comfortable and and a clean feedback in uh, experience so you can get a clear understanding of your environment rather than elimination of one stimulus in an environment. Because if you have that one stimulus or sense completely eliminated, it becomes one less leg to stand on, I guess, in that, in that situation. And, and it's not only about working spaces. We've done numerous projects of um, sports, enclosed sports areas, like sports um, um, halls in schools or colleges mm -hmm. where they play basketball or any other sports. You look at enclosed swimming pools. Swimming pools have a lot of noise. But oh, yeah. if actually below the roof, if you put a fabric, which is an acoustics one, it changes amazingly. One, so nearly one, it reduces everything by two thirds in terms of the reverberation sound and the effect is amazing. Mm -hmm. We've done so many small uh, sports areas in New Zealand, in France, in Japan. Um, and it, it really changes everything. And the fact that it's lightweight in a country like Japan, which is an earthquake prone country, you also are able to lightweight, but also heavy. You're able to protect the roof if it collapses in case of a very heavy earthquake. And if mm. uh, children are moving to a sports area for protection when an earthquake comes, it actually gives another level of protection, you know? So, so in that sense, so, so, so that way, I mean, uh, it's it's it really changes the perspective and um, generally now more and more when we see good designs and when they're looking at sports areas or at least the enclosed sports areas it's becoming a key element either they want double skin as two membranes again for the purpose of acoustics because they want to do that or at the same time they will say one uh, top membrane and below that i need an acoustic in fact in this meditation hall itself we have mm -hmm. a heavy duty acoustic membrane, which has been put and which has really been very effective to reduce the eco because it's a total open space uh, and there are pillars only on the side. So it's a total open area uh, in, in that sense. So, so having that membrane put beneath that roof ensured that the eco was really reduced to a larger extent. Yeah, I would imagine a, an extremely large uh, gathering a spot that's not like a sports arena where there's like a cheering aspect, but more so potentially a single person trying to communicate effectively with a group. That's a real uh, acoustic issue that, that you need to deal with. And then also as a place of mass meditation, you're, you know, you're, you can close your eyes, but the audio is always going to be there. So if you can control that, yeah, great point. <laughs> Uh, how do you combine the principles of material design and meditation to create sustainable environments? This is an interesting question to me. It is. It is. I don't know how to answer that. Uh, but um, uh, um, because, you know, I mean, in the end, I'm not the one who's uh, who's kind of um, uh, designing these structures and everything. But um, what I can say is that um, I would more connect it to the wellness of people, to wellness of workspace. So in that sense, uh, and in fact, 
COVID has kind of uh, activated it much faster, that there's a real push towards wellness and well-being. I mean, in the last two years, in COVID times, when I was working from home virtually and everything, I've done so many meditation sessions for corporates who were also people working from home that, uh, I mean, there was obviously a different level of stress and everything. Um, and um, and that really, you know, has becoming a part of things now, even when things have opened up. So I think uh, that element that people also realize that now more and more, they need to give some space within offices also. And many companies I'm seeing that some are creating meditation pods, some are creating rooms where people, whoever, whatever faith they believe in can go there, take their time, sit there alone. And if they want to meditate, they meditate. If they want to pray, they pray. So so in that sense. So I think that's an element I'm seeing more and more that uh, that alertness, that sensitivity is coming in terms of design of spaces that it's always good to give people those moments in a day if they wish mm. to, where they can kind of either connect with their cells, connect with their inner cells or whatever they would wish to do and then mm -hmm. come back uh, rejuvenated uh, in in the work uh, area you know so so that's i would say more in that sense uh, obviously being sensitive to that in meditation if you're there you are more sensitive to those elements mm -hmm. if you're not obviously then um, uh, sometimes it becomes uh, difficult for people to understand but i think overall uh, there's a more general awareness on wellness and well-being and people realize oh, yeah. some element of this where people can connect with themselves and have a space for themselves even in office times or in office areas uh, makes a lot of sense makes a lot of sense yeah i think especially in america there's a huge push right now i'm sure in other countries it's been going on for a long time i think we're a little late on the game of of really understanding or, or we've had such an objective religious history one that's far more tr uh, conservative traditional and and certainty based that we're we're experiencing a large loss of religious belief but people who still maintain spirituality and bringing that understanding of still being connected spiritually in some way to how does that benefit uh, a worker or someone within a creative environment or management environment any of that you know the this kind of disentangling of religious practice and and work but also re-entangling them to a to a large degree of of actually having these like meditation rooms or anything else i think we're we're starting to understand that that you can you can lose uh, a regimented or a, a belief or or spiritual practice um but it comes at a cost and then kind of processing the, the reasons why you would lose it, but reintegrating the beneficial practices and traditions. Um, and it's easier once you leave something that you're familiar with to embrace similar things, but of a different culture because you, you leave something behind that you felt was limiting you. So you're more open to the new thing that maybe provides the same thing that you had in the past, but comes within a different name and comes from a different culture. So you don't have the baggage to to not accept that. So I think there's, there's a, there's an awakening, uh, within our culture of embracing these kind of things, meditation rooms and, and more spiritual awareness. And it comes with all the odd things of, you know, watching a child learn to walk. We're going through this thing of, you know, in many ways, a very awkward thing at times of the, the cultural clash clash of 
of growing spiritually as a nation while at the same time losing religion. It's a, it's a very, uh, it, it's a very ungangly process at times, which is funny, but whatever. <laughs> um, last question I have for you. I know you're probably, you're probably late in pretty late in the day over there in Singapore right now, I imagine. Yeah, it, it, it I mean, uh, it would be touching 10 p.m. Uh, so oh my, I'm sorry for keeping you up so late. No, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's no problem. I understand. I mean, we have to uh, manage that anyway. I mean, it's, it might, it's also early for you. So, so in that sense, yeah. Yeah. Singapore is one of my places on my bucket list. I, I believe I've gone through the airport there, but that's about it. Okay. <laughs> I need, I need to get there someday. Um, how mindfulness workspaces are conductive to deep work and productivity. So when, when, uh, when we're talking about deep work, what what does that mean to you, and how does a mindfulness uh, practice interact with a work uh, environment that provides for deep work and productivity, in your opinion? So, I as I, I I won't be able to say much on the on the mindfulness element part of it, but I suppose if I take it as a broader word of of meditation again yes, whatever somebody yes. practices whether mindfulness heartfulness or any other meditation practice i suppose right. um, it connects to what we were just talking about that um, the element that you are able to connect yourself is is also kind of a self journey for you so in that sense um, uh, when people are in that work uh, space i think they are able to reflect uh, much more and much deeper on how they interact, how they work, how they communicate, how they, you know, take sometimes a space and, you know, take a decision or, uh, you know, uh, work on certain things, which may sometimes be either controversial or difficult, but uh, how they are able to take a good balanced uh, approach to, to things rather than being conditioned by uh, biases or whatever. I think that itself gives a different perspective of working. It creates a a fair workspace, I would say, uh, a nice workspace and a and a space where you f you would feel you're creating the right environment for people to be comfortable. You know, people mm. to be comfortable to express, have at the same time not feeling either afraid or worried or anything in that sense. So it it also creates a more open sharing space. And I think mm. that in the end it boils down to everyone because you know, I mean as any change in society it has to be starting with ourselves as we as individuals sometimes we fall into that trap that oh things have to change but it has to change for your neighbor or somebody opposite you not but not for you but actually the yeah, real change yeah. can only happen from yourself from uh, oneself and then it's like a ripple of a water when you throw a stone those ripples spread so it goes from one person to the next to the next and then you're able to expand the the surroundings uh, around you and those concentric circles which you can create so i think mm. um, no matter what you believe in or what somebody does that taking out that space or time or to be able to do something on that really changes i suppose an individual uh, in a workspace that um, yeah. that i've seen for myself also uh, and environments and it does make a lot of difference i think there's a, a similar principle or rule that I've run into. Uh, I, I'm not a natural writer by any stretch, but I'm currently trying to write on creativity for an article. And uh, the things I've read have said, don't ever attempt to write beyond like 
focused writing beyond like two hours. It just becomes a, a, just a log jam. You have to get up, get away from it, do something physical, something, maybe a meditation practice, like something, let your mind rest, let it clear out and come back to it later. You'll have processed it and everything else. And hey, there's, there's so much embodied wisdom in all these practices and, and these religious uh, practices and spiritual practices that a lot of times people like myself who've rejected what they grew up in uh, cast it all out and they don't realize that there's practices within there that are actually highly beneficial, even if they're not um, certainly or, or uh, specifically true in the way that you associated with them previously. The practice of those traditions, the practice of those habits, um, they, they have truth in them regardless. And, you know, meditative practice, spiritual practice, praying, they're all of a, a cut of the same cloth that is attempting to get at purpose, meaning, reason that, that we exist and, and bringing those together. And when you're, when you're more integrated uh, in, within moderation, I think that you just simply become more effective. You get deep work done and your productivity goes up. So why not do that? And, and it's so interesting. I just saw a thing, uh, went through my feed that, uh, in Japan, culturally in Japan, if you're seen taking a nap at work, what it tells your manager or someone else is that, holy cow, they are working so hard. They fell asleep at work. If that happens in America, you're caught sleeping at your desk, boy, you, you, the first thing you have to do, you have to go, amen. Sorry, what? (laughs) You have to pretend that you were praying. You know, it's it culturally, it's so different, and and there's so much going on there. But we can learn so much from each other. It's just such an interesting conversation. So, I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm sorry we kept you up so late, but um, thanks for reaching out. I really appreciated this conversation. You've you've helped outline some things from from a really great, very different perspective that I don't have, and I really appreciate that. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for the work you're doing and sleep well. <laughs> oh, thank you, Trent. And really a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed that. And I hope to remain connected with you. And I'll also kind of send you an email to, I mean, if you wish to discover something more about the products or whatever. And I'm more a- than happy. Absolutely. If you wish to get a flavor of a, of a meditation session, as I'm also a meditation trainer with Heartfulness, I can take you through virtually a session over 30 minutes if you wish to just experiment once Nitin Govila thank you so much for taking the time look forward to talking to you again absolutely thank you Trent thank you again and have a great day